Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This, to me, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning, and we have a great show for you today. Uh, Michael Knowles from Daily Wire. Uh, I got to interview him yesterday on my podcast. If you are not subscribed there, you can go to thejennaellishow.com, and those are more uh, long-form interviews and a really good uh, discussion with Michael Knowles yesterday. And so we're going to play that interview for you in full in the next segment. And then our good friend Todd Starnes will join on a couple of uh, very interesting stories this morning. Uh, The top trending story that I want to get to right off the top and uh, we'll ask Todd for reaction to as well later is that Tucker Carlson dropped a bombshell report on footage showing that the Democrats lied about January 6th and escorted uh, some of the J6ers through the Capitol by police. And so this was, of course, completely different than the narrative that was portrayed during the select committee's uh, hearings and then also in the context of the criminal prosecution. So, for example, uh, the the gentleman, Jacob Chansley, who is known as the QAnon shaman by the mainstream media and the press, um, there is new video that actually showed him being escorted through the Capitol by police the entire time that he was in the building. He was originally charged with um, a breach of the Capitol, ultimately did plead guilty and uh, a conviction was entered. So he was not one that went to trial. But the question here is why this uh, type of exculpatory evidence or footage uh, was not released to the public, certainly, but uh, likely there's no there's nothing to say that this was released to his attorneys either. And so um, th- that really raises substantial questions about ethical improprieties on behalf of the government. And now there's uh, really no question why so many Democrats uh, were very concerned that Speaker McCarthy gave the entire Uh, It was just hours and hours of footage to Tucker Carlson for transparency. Well, now we know why. And so um, Elon Musk actually weighed in this morning uh, responding to a a tweet from my friend uh, Greg Price, who has um, a lot of great videos and other uh, content on Twitter from, you know, various uh, press conferences and various things. You should follow Greg Price on Twitter. Um, But Elon Musk said this, besides misleading the public, They withheld evidence for partisan political reasons that sent people to prison for far more serious crimes than they committed. This is deeply wrong, legally and morally. Well, Elon Musk is absolutely right. And in any other context that was not so politically driven and such a hot button political issue, uh, this would be a very standard type of sanctional sanctionable offense um, that, and and I don't mean standard as in the government, you know, does this all the time, but in terms of standard, in terms of the process of what happens for sanctions and um, ultimately the overturning of convictions in a criminal context. And this is because the Supreme Court uh, back in the 1960s ruled in a a case called Brady versus Maryland 
that uh, the Brady Doctrine that came out of that, it's a pretrial discovery rule that required that the prosecution and the government must turn over all exculpatory evidence to the defendant in a criminal case. This is so that the defense, of course, can evaluate the strength of their case. They can determine uh, whether or not to go to trial. They can uh, determine whether or not to take a plea agreement in um, various instances. They can um, even file pretrial motions uh, to the court to try to get uh, the prosecutor's case decided dismissed entirely. So this is something that is a a really, really big deal in the criminal law world. And the Brady rule uh, requires that prosecutors have to disclose this. They don't have a choice. This is a, a doctrine that has been in place since the 1960s. And it's so that we make sure that due process happens. And when it comes to the January 6th defendants, um, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how the lawyers for some of these defendants who have gone to trial and uh, been convicted or even those that have taken uh, plea agreements, if and how they then file appeals on the basis of having received new exculpatory evidence that clearly was in the government's possession that was not turned over. And um, so the question that I really have coming out of all this is, did those lawyers for these defendants have this video? And my guess is no, simply because there has not been one leak, there has been not, um, you know, one mention of any of these exculpatory videos uh, since any of these trials and convictions um, have occurred. And so if these lawyers have not gotten any of this information until now. Um, This to me looks like a very clear Brady rule violation and, you know, sanctions should happen and the standard process should happen. It should not matter that this is such a politically charged issue. If anything, the courts should say that the government has to be held accountable and we have to go by standard process so that this doesn't look as partisan as it actually has been. So we're going to be right back with Michael Knowles uh, right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning and of course following all of these stories uh, right here on American Family Radio Network. We'll be right back. What could healthcare sharing mean to you? Well, if you're like a lot of people who switch to MediShare, honestly, it's a huge relief. Like for the parents of an eight-year-old girl fighting cancer, it's confidence they have in having a community praying for them and paying their medical bills so they can focus on just being there and loving their daughter. Or for a young couple getting ready to welcome their first child into the world, it's being able to be in the moment, getting to enjoy this great gift from God without worrying about medical bills. And it's a relief these days to know you can actually save some money on something. The typical family saves $500 a month by switching to MediShare. And it's a ministry. When you call them, you talk to actual humans who want to help you. So that's a relief too. MediShare has been around 30 years. It's affordable, reliable health care. It's a great time to switch to. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. 
Persecuted believers in Asia, they love their enemies and they count it all joy to suffer for the Lord. This is Bible League International. Abir is a former Islamic leader in Bangladesh. When he became a believer, he was beaten, verbally abused, his home was vandalized, he was forced to move to another city, and he was labeled a traitor. But he holds to the precious promises of God he reads every day in his Bible. I asked Abir, you were beaten, you were cast out. It's so easy to hate people that do this to you. He said, no, I love them. Most of us here in America cannot relate to the level of persecution that Christians like Abir in Bangladesh and others throughout Asia are facing on a daily basis. Let's send them the word of God they need and crave to be able to endure and persevere. And that's why we're holding this campaign, Fan the Flame. $5 sends a Bible, $100 sends 20 every gift matched. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or give it sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Uh, my goal as a teacher is, is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives and their careers? Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash Starnes. You can add bird watching to the latest list of all things racist and symbolic of white supremacy. The Washington Post published an expansive report on the racist legacy of the Audubon Society and the birding community at large. They say some birds are named after former slave owners and white supremacists. Corinna Newsom is a black ornithologist, and her life's mission is to break down racial barriers and defeat racism in the birding community. The National Audubon Society is also facing the wrath of the cancel culture crowd ruffling feathers because the founder owned slaves. John James Audubon has been dead for 170 years, so it's unclear why this has suddenly become an issue. Miss Newsom says she was troubled because she once had to wear a work shirt that bore Audubon's name. You know, it sounds to me like the Audubon Society is dealing with an infestation of dodo birds, loons, and bird brains. I'm Todd Stearns. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And Michael Knowles from Daily Wire joined me yesterday on The Jenna Ellis Show. If you haven't subscribed there, you can go to uh, Rumble or wherever you stream and listen to my podcast at thejennaellisshow.com as well. But this is the full interview with Michael Knowles of Daily Wire from yesterday. Listen to this. Joining me now is Michael Knowles from The Daily Wire. And Michael, so there's been a lot of controversy, of course, of saying that, you know, transgenderism should be eradicated. So let's clarify for the record. Are you the new literal Hitler? <laughs> I was going to say, Jenna, it's very courageous of you to bring on a genocidal maniac such as myself. I had no idea of all the things I've been called in politics. I have to say genocidal is a new one. The, the libs have outdone themselves. Uh, but no. And so there have been a number of headlines in Rolling Stone, in the Huffington Post, in the Daily Beast, in the Independent, so some international headlines as well, which defamed me. The headlines said that I called for transgender people or the transgender community to be eradicated, which is libel. And uh, uh, look, what I don't know anything about the law, but some very serious constitutional scholars and lawyers uh, people like Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee, who is a constitutional 
lawyer and Supreme Court litigator Vivek Ramaswamy, another friend of mine, presidential candidate, Yale Law School graduate, have pointed out this would seem to be actionable libel by these these news organizations. And what what happened is then a lot of people believed the fake news. And so they, they might be forgiven for believing a false headline. The news editors, I don't think they really ought to be let off the hook for this because I think they're acting with actual malice. And if you look at the words of my speech, even the clip that was going around, I don't think it is really possible for these news editors, ignorant as they may be, illiterate as though they may be, I don't think they could have really seriously misinterpreted what I said. Because what I said was, for the good of society and especially for the good of the people who have fallen prey to this confusion, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life. The whole ideology, uh, top to bottom, you know, at, at every single level. And so an ism generally refers to a doctrine or a set of beliefs or, or a system of thought. Uh, in, in some cases, you might use the word, the, the suffix ism to refer to a malady of some kind. In any case, though, if you say you want to uh, get rid of a belief, that doesn't mean you want to murder all of the people who hold that belief. If I say I want to eradicate capitalism or I want to eradicate communism, I'm not saying I want to slaughter every communist in the world. If you say you want to eradicate some malady, I want to eradicate anorexia, I want to eradicate poverty. You're not saying I'm going to kill all the poor people. I mean, and, and lest there were any confusion, the fact that in my speech, I explicitly say, I want to help the people who are suffering with this. And then at the end, I explicitly say that I'm talking about an ideology I, I think that these newspapers, it's not just that they got it wrong. I think they were actively lying about me. And that opens them up to a, a serious conversation about libel. As it should. And uh, as a constitutional law attorney myself, I would agree with uh, my colleagues in this area of the law as well, that this is actual malice. And it's obvious because no reasonable person could objectively listen to what you said and arrive at the conclusion that they put in their headlines. It was intentionally misleading. It was intentionally false. It was intentionally defamatory. And that is still the standard under New York Times versus Sullivan. And I think you're right to go after these news organizations that are intentionally trying to create a narrative around what you're saying and look for uh, ways that they can proof text. They can take a word or phrase like eradicate transgenderism, take that out of context, out of your phrasing, and then make it mean whatever they want it to mean. They're trying to on purpose construct their own reality, and they're doing that in a way that is intentionally false and misleading, which as publishers, uh, they are prohibited from doing that. I mean, it's amazing. Michael, that in this society and in the protections of the First Amendment for freedom of the press and freedom of speech, uh, there is so much that you as the press can do. But the one thing you can't is make an intentionally false statement that is knowingly false and pervert the plain meaning of words. But what does this tell you then that the left has to go to such lengths in order to try to drive home this false narrative instead of actually substantively debate what it is that you are saying? Well, this is why the left-wing papers had to lie about me if they wanted to maintain their, their current ideological agenda. Because the point of my speech, all the rest of the speech that I gave at CPAC, was that unfortunately what happens is that the conservatives 
very often cave on the left's agenda. So the left will propose some crazy idea, the conservatives will briefly oppose it, the, the liberals will stand firm, and conservatives cave, and then they just move on and they say, okay, that crazy idea is fine, but this new crazy idea, that's terrible. And so that's how we got from, in the 70s, bra-burning feminists say a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. The conservatives oppose this for a brief period of time, Eventually, they cave on that kind of feminism, and they move on, and they say, okay, but we oppose the sexual revolution and all the village people stuff. I don't know, all the kind of eccentric sexual behaviors. And then what happens? In short order, the conservatives cave on that, and they say, okay, but, but uh, redefining marriage, that would be crazy. Then what happens? The conservatives cave on that. They say, okay, transgenderism is crazy. Then what happens? The conservatives cave on that. They say, okay, well, transing the kids, that's our line. Or now it's transing the eight-year-olds. The nine-year-olds, it's fine, but the eight-year-olds, it's not fine. And, and so you see, you see where this ends up. And I think the reason that these newspapers were so angry with me is b- because they believed that they had already won on transgenderism. They believed that the conservatives now accepted the transgender false anthropology, that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. They believed that we had essentially caved on allowing grown men who consider themselves to be women to go into women's bathrooms, take women's positions, go into women's locker rooms, all the rest. And that now we were only arguing over the margins of should it be eight-year-olds or nine-year-olds. And the fact that my speech said, no, we need to reject transgenderism whole cloth. It's either true for everybody or it's false for everybody. It happens to be false for everybody. And so we, we should help the people who are deluded into thinking that it's real. I, I think that's what set them off. And they, they overreacted. And they know that they overreacted because when I pointed out, I said, these headlines are false. I never said this. This is defamatory. They instantly changed those headlines. Uh, I think they probably got a call from their legal department saying, hey, editorial, you're getting a little big for your britches here. We're going to get sued into oblivion if you don't change this. So very quickly, you saw the Daily Beast caved, the Rolling, Rolling Stone caved, Huffington Post, I believe, has since caved, the Independent in the UK, uh, on and on and on. Now, there, there remains libelous content in those articles. So we're, we're looking at that right now. But the fact that they changed those headlines so quickly, I think, is an admission of guilt in itself. Yeah, absolutely. But there's stealth editing, I'm sure, and not actually apologizing. I mean, the same thing happened to me, interestingly, on this same show when in the aftermath of the Club Q uh, shooting. And unfortunately, you know, there were uh, fatalities and mass shootings are never okay. And I discussed the context of that uh, with a pastor actually on this show. And we talked about how mass shootings and intentional uh, murder is always wrong, regardless of who it is, you know, made all of the obvious statements of morality and then discuss the fact of, well, what happens in the afterlife, you know, for these people who went to that club that night, who had no idea that they weren't going to come home. And in the context of Christian truth and in the truth of every person has to answer for themselves, where are uh, we going after we die? You know, we talked about that, but of course the Huffington Post and others had the headlines that claimed that I said that every LGBT LGBT person will, quote unquote, burn in hell, which I never said. Um, Those headlines, of course, came out because they thought, like you said, that we've already caved as Christians and we have fully embraced and accepted the morality and the choice. And you can be a gay Christian and totally fine with us. So they were shocked that I was suggesting that maybe no homosexuality is still and always has been immoral, but they stealth edited some of those headlines, uh, but never walked it back, never got an apology, uh, never had you know anything else happen on it. 
But I think you're absolutely right. These are the types of mainstream media outlets that are always acting in bad faith because they don't want to have this conversation on the merits in the same way that they don't want to have the conversation about the morality and the uh, the government's obligation to regulate abortion in the wake of the Dobbs decision. We've never had a conversation on the merits about abortion because they've always knee-jerk said, it's a constitutional right, it's super precedent. And they don't want to have the conversations. So how can we still have these conversations in a meaningful way when all they're trying to do is push a dialectic that will misinterpret intentionally the words that we're saying so that we have an argument over what we actually said, not the substance of what it was that we actually said? You have to lean into it, okay? The only way out is through. And I know that that you know this as well. If the press are not going after you, it means you're probably not quite over the target. When they start attacking you and calling you all sorts of mean names, that's when you know you're getting closer. And then when they're outright lying about you, that's when you know that you are hovering right over the target. So we need to stay right there. There was one headline that was half true about this whole non-traversy. The headline said, Michael Knowles, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but the gist of it was, Michael Knowles calls to eradicate transgender people at CPAC to thunderous applause. And so it's, it's half true. I obviously never said anything about eradicating people, but there was thunderous applause. I'm pleased to say, I'm not trying to brag here, but the speech was very well received. And it's not because I did such a wonderful job on the performance. All I did was state a basic truth, which is that men can't become women and women can't become men. And we all know that even if we're now being forced in some cases to pretend that that is not the case. And so it's, it's a reminder to people that your best plan of action is to stick to the truth. You might be persecuted for saying the truth, in various moments in history, uh, obviously, you know, the uh, things didn't work out all that well for Socrates or, uh, you know, anybody else afterward who, who said the truth. Uh, but ultimately, the truth wins. And, and uh, on the flip side of that, if you're trying to chase the passing fashions of the day, it's probably, you might get accolades in the moment, but in the long run, you're going to look very foolish. It's not I who said it. It may have been, I don't know, call it Niebuhr or somebody, some, some theological thinker at some point who said, that if you marry yourself to the spirit of the age, you will find yourself a widow in the next. Let's say it was Dean Inge or Fulton Sheen. I don't know. It was one of those guys. Whoever said it, doesn't matter who said it because the statement remains true. And I think there are a lot of squishes right now who are trying to marry themselves to the spirit of the age. They're going to look very foolish. Whereas the people who point out that men can't become women, women can't become men. If you live your life according to lies, you're not going to flourish in the long run. Those people will be vindicated. In fact, I think vindicated today. And I hope that you are vindicated. And it's amazing some of the precedent, though, that we are seeing uh, in the judicial system on the transgender movement. There was a case um, from USA Powerlifting as an organization that will now allow transgender athletes to compete in the women's division. And so when you talk about pretending, Michael, and talk about the self-evident truth of biological reality, it made me so, so mad that a court this week ruled that USA Powerlifting, and this is their actual opinion from the court, they said that USA Powerlifting was, quote, making a person pretend to be something different than they were, and that USA Powerlifting had violated the Minnesota Human Rights Act. This is the exact opposite of what transgenderism actually is. They're pre- men are pretending to be women in order to enter women's biological sports. 
And yet we now have a judicial opinion from a Minnesota court saying that requiring a person to be the biological gender that they are in order to participate in women's sports, you have to have the right chromosomes and you have to actually physically, literally be a woman that somehow you're forcing then men to pretend to be something that they aren't, which is men. This is absurd. Where do we go as a conservative movement when we have such insane activists on the court? Well, this proves the point. The fact that you're seeing these kinds of court decisions proves exactly the point that I was articulating at CPAC, which is there's no middle ground when it comes to transgenderism (laughs) because transgenderism puts forward an anthropology, a false anthropology, but a a false view of human nature, which is that men and women are not really different and complementary, but really they can be indistinguishable. They can move one to the other. And and if we're going to accept that as a society, then it's got to be either true for everybody or false for everybody. This is why it is a fool's errand to try to stop at transing the kids, but saying that adults can transgender themselves. That doesn't make any sense. If an adult can properly identify as transgender, why is that? He's saying that he's a man who was born in a woman's body or vice versa. Well, if that sort of thing can happen, then how did that happen? Presumably he was born this way. That's what the activists tell us. And if the man is really born this way, or the woman, I guess, whichever, then not only should we permit the transing of the kids, we affirmatively should trans the kids. If that's their true identity, then we should affirm their true identity from the earliest age possible. Now, of course, it's all complete nonsense. But if it's nonsense for the kid, then it's nonsense for the adult as well. And, and so there's this really nasty, pernicious lie at, at the heart of this ideology, th- this broader political movement, which is that the truth is cruel and lies will set you free. The truth of, of a man who wants to be a woman being a man, that that's very cruel, and the lie that he's secretly a woman will set him free. Well, that's a complete inversion of the gospel truth, that, that lies are the tool of the prince of this world to deceive us and ruin our lives, and that the truth, in fact, will set you free. And so we, we should put the truth above all things. We should. And, you know, this also raises a very interesting tension point, I think, in terms of how we approach this as a society in what we permit in society and what we prohibit. Because so often the more libertarian minded, and I'm using that as a very broad term, and I, and I recognize that for the, for the people who always write in and say, well, I'm a reasonable libertarian. I, I understand. But in, in the general broad perspective of those who would say, well, I don't care what you do in the privacy of your own home as long as you are an adult. Well, this is no longer the privacy of their own home. This is not something that we can just take a hands-off approach and say, the government can never prohibit a consenting adult from participating in an activity that is immoral or socially prohibited. We do that all the time in um, various ways that we legislate. And that is legislating morality. And we have accepted that since the founding of this country. And yet we are also not not only on that side saying we are drawing the boundary lines and saying, well, whatever you do, 18 and above, fine. We're only concerned about minor children. But I think we're also opening up the door to an argument that transgenderism and wokeism as an ideology can and should potentially have the same protections constitutionally 
under a free exercise of religion argument. Because if we are making the assertions that this is a religion in terms of a belief system, well, we know that it is fundamentally false and not true. But I can see future litigation when you have courts like in Minnesota suggesting you can't make a man pretend to be that he is a man, then go the step further and say not only is this this type of ideology and fundamentally false pernicious behavior protected under a civil rights argument, but also under a mm. First Amendment free exercise argument as well. Well, the problem is that I agree that the, the leftist view, the woke view, the tra- especially the transgender view, has all the trappings of religion. Uh, the problem is that it's irreligion. <laughs> you know, religion has a meaning. Religion is a habit of virtue that renders to God what God is what God deserves. That, that's what it is. And so uh, in, in this case, it would be quite the opposite. This is why it's very silly when the atheists claim that they have religious protections. Irreligious people cannot have religious protections. This isn't some novel authoritarian far-right view of mine. Actually, this is the view of John Locke. This is the view of John Milton. I mean, John Locke is the father of liberalism. This was the view of many of the people who built our country. And uh, to, to say that irreligious people have religious protections would totally undermine religious protections. Uh, though it, it would be more honest, at least, if the leftists stopped pretending that their views were scientific or a, a matter of course and common sense and said, no, we have this bizarro worldview of the human person wherein the, the, the soul and the body are totally separate, dualist, at odds with one another, and your true self has nothing to do with your body. It has everything to do with your immaterial soul. I mean, that's what they're saying when it comes to transgenderism. And, and what you're focusing on, Jenna, it was a really important point on being in one's own bedroom and not being interested in what one does in one's own bedroom. It's why I chose my words so carefully for CPAC. I said that the transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely, which is a much broader position than the conservatives have articulated in quite some time. But it's, it's not totalizing. I mean, there is still the private chambers of one's own mind. I'm not suggesting that we send the thought police out, you know, put a gun to your head and make you believe something that you don't believe. But for, for public life, when we're talking about going into bathrooms, presenting yourself on a passport, on a birth certificate, in the way that even one comports oneself, that one identifies. Well, if, if it's public, then we the people have some say over how that's going to be. And the vast majority of Americans understand that men and women are different and men can't become women. So why is it the case that our entire public life, our whole politics, our political order in an allegedly self-governing society is being dictated by a handful of radicals who, who are completely wrong on human nature? That's a great question. And this is where conservatives need to take a more firm stand. And we should have taken the firm stand 20, 30 years ago. Um, and even you know, way back during the sexual revolution, when you know Griswold versus Connecticut at its very inception said that and stood for the premise that the Supreme Court can read into the Constitution whatever it wants and this whole vast penumbra of ideas and then simply legislate from the bench accordingly. I mean, we've gotten ourselves into such a mess that now the leftists would try to uh, parse all of these details and use them against us and say that just because we have some protections for religion, for example, and free exercise, that the irreligious can benefit from those same protections in the same way that the absurd Bostock decision stood for the premise that uh, discrimination on the basis of sex somehow in 1964 included sexual orientation and gender identity, and that protections of biological sex extend to what you believe about yourself in the confines 
limitations of your mind. I mean, this has become so absurd. And so just um, in the last few minutes that I have here with you, Michael Knowles, and I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and informing us that you're not literally Hitler. I'm very <laughs> pleased to discover that today. I was um, pleased to discover it about myself. I said, well, oh, good. Yes, okay, and, and right. It's, thank you for clarifying that so that, you know, people can still watch this show in good faith. <laughs> but, I, I just, it, it's been very tricky ever since the liberal media informed me that I am a genocidal dictator. I, I can't tell which, what my genocidal name should be. Am I Slobodan Michalosevich? Am I Benito Michelini? Am, am I Maukel? I don't, there's so many options uh, and, and Rolling Stone hasn't picked one yet. Well, we will look forward to you updating your Twitter handle accordingly when you settle <laughs> on which genocidal maniac dictator you would like to be. Um, but in the interim, uh, where do you see the conservative movement headed when we have a wide tent Republican Party that from the very top has people that are doing what I'm calling moral gerrymandering? They're trying to move the bright lines of empirical, self-evident truth to simply create their own version of reality and carve out their particular sin that they prefer so that we move all of these moral bright lines to arbitrarily determine uh, based on who we don't want to offend. That's not conservatism. And that's certainly not a good blueprint for the future of jurisprudence. I'm, I'm all for a big tent party. The problem is, is the delineation of where the tent sits because the, the people who, uh, endlessly blabber about a big tent party. They're often in New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Washington, D.C., and they want to expand the tent by embracing all the most absurd and eccentric liberal uh, pathologies and movements. And they, they think that, you know, by embracing now, I don't know, polyamorous uh, polycules with furries and billy goats, that's really going to expand the Republicans party, Republican Party's electoral reach. Uh, what about the, the people in East Palestine, Ohio? What about the blue-collar workers who jo whose jobs were shipped overseas? Because all the big tent party people, they never seem to talk about them. And I think that they have a far greater claim on our focus. And I, I think that they're a far larger demographic. If you actually want to expand the party, how about you start talking about the American worker? How about you start talking about the overlooked American? in that flyover country, the deplorable, irredeemable, bitter, clinging American. I think there are more of them. I think they're more deserving of our attention. I think they've been far more overlooked. Yeah, let's expand the party into America. Yeah, so well said. And keep up the good work. And you know, your reception to thunderous applause at CPAC in the heart of the party People are still rational and reasonable, and we should not, as conservatives, ever yield an inch to the radical, false ideologies of the progressive left that would seek to compel us to participate in their lives. So I am uh, grateful to you for standing up with courage and speaking out how you do, and I hope that Daily Wire will file these types of lawsuits and win, because we do need to have more wins, and I frankly am not yet tired of winning. So thanks so much, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither, Jenna. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. Thanks. So that was Michael Knowles from The Daily Wire. We will be right back with more of Jenna Ellis in the morning with our very good friend, Todd Starnes. And I know he's going to have some great comments and also a very interesting story uh, that you really want to hear. So we'll be right back. Uh -huh. 
Sandy Rios 24-7. It's not a morning show. It's an all-day show fueled by the wit and wisdom of Sandy Rios. If you have a smartphone, I think you should download the AFR app. Sandy Rios 24-7 is on the podcast page at AFR.net. I have, you know, so many listeners from the radio show who are now listening to the podcast. Sandy Rios 24-7. You live my prayers all the time. Sandy Rios 24-7 on the podcast page at AFR.net calling from Richmond, Virginia, and I'm a faithful listener. Wherever you are, however you listen, we'd love to hear your AFR story. I now believe, I actually do believe in Christ, and I'm just so grateful. Call 877-876-8893 and give us a minute or two about AFR in your life. Have we encouraged your faith? Have we taught you something? Call today so we can do the same for others. That's 877-876-8893. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Elon Musk was invited to give an address at the World Government Summit hosted in Dubai. Musk did so via remote signal, and in so doing protested against the formation of a single government for the entire world. He explained that civilizations have risen and fallen throughout history, but that has never meant the doom of humanity as a whole because there have been all these separate civilizations that were separated by great distances. The only global government Christians should look to is Christ's reign when he returns. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Did you know the abortion pill accounts for over 50% of all abortions? Preborn Ministry continues to stand with women in crisis in their darkest hour and bring hope and life. After Marissa took the abortion pill, she immediately regretted it, but Preborn was there for her. Look at that baby. Look how beautiful he is. Look at that. Abortion pill reversal actually works. Let's hear his heartbeat. Oh, look how strong it is. Praise God. By God's amazing grace, this baby was saved, but many more need our help. To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives and sharing the heart of Jesus, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back, and always great to have our good friend Todd Starnes, who is, of course, the host of uh, the Todd Starnes Show, and you can read all of the top trending headlines as well at toddstarnes.com from a Christian perspective, which is always appreciated. And Todd, you and I were both at CPAC, and somehow we didn't overlap, which is such a bummer. It's always good to see you, Um, but I know we were both there. And uh, did you have an opportunity to see Michael Knowles' speech in person, or I know that you at least saw the clips going around, but uh, what was your response to the reaction from the mainstream media that, of course, were intentionally getting the headlines wrong? 
Well, they did. And when you go back and watch the speech, which I did not, uh, we were, I think, in the middle of, a, of, of doing the show. But I went back and uh, read the transcripts. And this is one of the reasons, and I know people love to give me grief over this, but we don't just jump out and comment. I always want to see the full video and uh, so I can understand the full context, uh, which is what we did years ago with the Covenant Catholic High School kids uh, and their controversy. And the same thing with, with Michael Knowles. And what Michael Knowles said is absolutely accurate. Uh, we, you know, there's nothing wrong with calling for the eradication of the ideology of transgenderism. And he was very clear to say ideology of transgenderism. And yet the mainstream media intentionally, intentionally lied here and suggested that Michael Knowles was calling for a genocide against the transgender community, which is simply a lie. It is. And, you know, I, I think that they are intentionally trying to, you know, foment this type of intense um, so-called hatred and bigotry from the right, because then they then they don't have to actually talk about the issue of the ideology of transgenderism. Then all they do with these headlines is spark the outrage and say, oh, well, you know, you're basically literally Hitler, Michael Knowles, um, because you know, you're calling for the eradication of people. And of course, trans people exist and all of their little narratives. And and when they do those types of headlines, then the reaction generally from conservatives is, well, wait a minute, we have to go back and we have to correct and then, you know, look at the mainstream media. And and then that becomes the debate and the argument instead of coming back to, wait, we need to have the actual debate and discussion on the issue of the transgender ideology itself. Because what Michael Knowles was saying, I think, is very important, Todd, that we do need to have a conversation about transgenderism, because if it is true which it's not, then it is true for everyone. And if it is false, which it is, then it's false for everyone. And so for conservatives trying to draw these lines and saying, well, it's wrong and we need to stop um, surgeries just for minors, but adults, hey, they can do what they want and then have all of these other um, snowballing effects into society, like on women's sports and uh, like in bathrooms and all of these other policy considerations. Those are the questions we need to address. Well, this is really about uh, an agenda from the radical sex and gender revolutionaries. And again, if you're over the age of 18, you have the right under the Constitution to, to live your life however you want to live your life. Uh, my concern here is what they are doing to children and this radicalization that's happening inside our public school classrooms without the knowledge of mom and dad. And this is all intentional. We've seen so many reports coming out of schools uh, hiding this information, preferred pronouns, things of that nature from, from mom and, and dad. Uh, the, a couple of years ago, there was a big controversy surrounding the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. They released a music video. Uh, you can Google it. We've got it on my website. And they sing this anthem called, We're Coming for Your Children. And I think that you have to take them at their word that, that this is really um, ultimately about grooming children as young as two, three, four years old for this radical, radical agenda. In the beginning, God created man and female. That's it. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, but I do think also that that Michael Knowles' point, um, not only, of course, I agree with you that the transgender agenda are coming for the kids because they are the innocent victims, especially when uh, the 
whether it's the medical professional or the teacher or whoever it is that is influencing the child, or even in some instances, um, moms and dads who want to maybe be cool with their neighbors or um, they want to check the, the diversity quota box and they say that their child is trans, then those children will eventually grow up and then they will be part of a society that then um, will have to make other accommodations for them. But for the adults that are that are choosing this, yes, the Constitution allows us to believe in and exercise our rights, uh, but not absolutely. And not to the extent that men who want to say that they're women can say, well, now I have a right to participate in women's sports. I have a right to go into women's bathrooms. I mean, we have these policy things that that and laws that are good for a reason and don't just allow everyone to live however they want. And so all of these things have to continue to be discussed. But um, but Todd, you're absolutely right about, about the classroom. And there's been such an emphasis on education um, in our society over the last several years when we've seen more and more all of these teachers that are trying on purpose, like you mentioned, to shield the truth of what's going on in the classroom from parents. And there was even a story um, a week or so ago about a teacher that was fired because she refused to hide from parents that the child uh, in, in her classroom uh, was identifying with different pronouns and all of those things. And now on your website, you also have a story that I want to talk about that a school district will no longer hire s- student teachers from a Christian university. And on this board are apparently three people that identify as LGBT and specifically do not want an influence from a Christian teacher. What's going on here? Yeah, this is happening at the Washington Elementary School District in Arizona, a very large school district. And for years, uh, at least 11 years, they had a partnership with Arizona Christian University, really top-notch academic institution, and they would allow student teachers, so education majors, would be able to work in the classroom as part of their practicum. And this has been going on, no problems at all. Uh, But now the radicalized school board, and as you mentioned, the five-person school board made up of three members of the LGBT community, uh, including um, a woman by the name of Tamelia Valenzuela. She She literally wears cat ears on her head. Uh, She identifies as a bilingual, disabled, neurodivergent, queer, black, Latina. That's how she's literally described (laughs) on the school board's website. And it's a lot to take in this morning, uh, but it's just she's out there. But anyway, those are the kinds of people that were elected to the school board in, in, in this Arizona community. And they believe that it is inappropriate to have Christians teaching in the classroom. And they specifically cited the university's position on the biblical definition of marriage and what the Bible says about homosexuality. And they said that as a result of this, that they did not want any any teachers from Arizona Christian University working in their school district. And um, and they voted unanimously. It was a unanimous vote to banish the Christian students from the class or the Christian student teachers from the classroom. So, well, well, first of all, so this, um, 
this whole cat ear, ear wearing and identifies as bilingual, disabled, neurodivergent. I don't even know what that means. Queer, black, Latina. I mean, I think she scores bingo on the diversity uh, bingo card checkbox. I mean, this is just, it's like how many more things can you add? But these, so th- these three board members are specifically saying that Christians are excluded from uh, being student teachers. And it's it's amazing to me because this is a public school district. And th- there is clear precedent that, you know, you can't discriminate against a, a person on the basis of their faith. And so is this now, um, is, is there a lawsuit around this or where is this headed? Not yet, but the, the university has issued a statement to us, and uh, they say this is unlawful, so they say it's going to hurt the school district. Uh, they say religious liberty and freedom are conscious, uh, and freedom of conscience are bedrock American principles, and they're looking at their options right now. I have no doubt that somebody, whether it's First Liberty Institute or Alliance Defending Freedom, Liberty Council, somebody's going to jump up and, and defend the school here, but this is flat-out discrimination. And I just want people to step back. How do you think the nation would have reacted had the school district banished gay staffers from its classrooms? There would have been wall-to-wall news coverage. You would have had every major morning show in America broadcasting from Arizona this morning. And the way I see it, Jenna, if there's room for teachers to fly that rainbow flag, there's got to be room for teachers who want to fly the Christian flag. Well, absolutely. And and this is where we're seeing public schools that are so overrun by the transgender or or queer LGBT associated individuals that they are intentionally trying to not only come after our children, but make these schools into indoctrination camps. And they are not even trying to hide their agenda anymore. And what I'm interested in too, Todd, is, is the other two people on the board. So there's five, three of them identify as part of the LGBT community openly. But what about the other two? Because if they're at all reasonable, rational, people, then they would have voted against that simply on the basis of knowing that it's unlawful. But, you know, you have to wonder, is there pressure from their colleagues saying, you know, you're not affirming, you're not being an ally to us. I mean, this is the type of stuff that happens all the time uh, in the boardroom, in the classroom, in, in a lot of different instances that if we, as uh, as people who are the normal versus the crazy, to use uh, Sarah Sanders' very apt term, if we don't bend over backwards and accommodate literally anything, including unlawful conduct from the LGBT community, then we're not considered allies anymore. And that has to change. Well, it does. And go back to the, you know, the, the days lead, right after the Supreme Court redefined what God had already defined, and Obama, uh, who was president at the time, said, look, Gay marriage is not going to have any impact on you at all. Well, now we know we're, we're way beyond that, and it's not a matter of just letting live and let live. Now it's a matter of openly celebrating um, the LGBT agenda, and if you do not, there is a price to pay. And that's, the, that's really the message that this radicalized school board is sending. Uh, every single one of them should be removed from office, and... Quite frankly, this needs to go to court, and the school, the school district and the taxpayers there in Arizona need to learn a very important lesson. You do not trot upon freedom of religion. Absolutely. And, and this is where hopefully we still have a, 
a judicial branch and a justice system that will get this right. And um, thankfully, with the current composition of our U.S. Supreme Court, um, I think that they will. So that'll be an interesting uh, story to follow. And and of course, uh, ToddStarns.com has uh, all of these stories that the mainstream media doesn't ever cover. I mean, if you weren't covering this, Todd, I haven't seen this story anywhere else. That's why I like to go to your website and see, okay, what are the stories that are uh, impacting Christians uh, that we need to all be aware of that, of course, the mainstream media, including even the right-leaning outlets, uh, are never really willing to cover. And um, you have some really great writers there as well. Um, And in just the last few minutes that I have with you here, Todd, I also wanted to get um, your reaction to the the January 6th videos, um, the first installment of uh, the transparency that came out on Tucker Carlson's show last night. Um, Interestingly, Elon Musk even weighed in and in a video clip of uh, of the uh, videos that were posted from Tucker showing that this um, QAnon shaman was actually led into the Capitol and escorted by police, which was completely against uh, the narrative that was painted for him specifically. Um, He did ultimately plead guilty. It wasn't a trial and conviction. But nonetheless, even Elon Musk responded to this and said on Twitter early this morning, besides misleading the public, they withheld evidence for partisan political reasons that sent people to prison for far more serious crimes than they committed. That is deeply wrong legally and morally. I think he's absolutely correct. Yeah, this is incredibly troubling because, again, they knew this all along. The J6 committee knew this. Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, they knew this. This is why they did not want to release any of the videos, because they knew that the videos would show what really happened here. And what I was really stunned by the QAnon shaman, as they called the guy, uh, because um, his behavior was just very odd. But now it makes complete sense. He was literally given a personal escort by Capitol Police throughout the entire building. So my recommendation this morning, release every single person that's being held in jail right now associated with J6. Uh, we don't have the full we don't have the full facts here. Clearly, they were up to something, uh, and by they, I mean the J6 committee. They were trying to advance a false narrative to take down President Trump. Yes, and now we know why uh, the Democrats in Washington all were uh, saying that Kevin McCarthy releasing all of the video footage to uh, Tucker Carlson. You know, they were um, they they were absolutely appalled at this and said no. And now we know why. So, uh, Todd Starnes, thanks so much for joining. We are already out of time this morning, but you can follow us on Twitter at Jenna Ellis AM for more. And of course, uh, follow Todd Starnes as well. And we will see you tomorrow right here for more on Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio Network.